Son of Man with a kiss. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. This story, this true story began in a garden. I'm not referring to the Garden of Gethsemane referenced in the passage we just read. I'm referring to the Garden of Eden. That's where this story began. The story began with a man, Adam, whose name, Adam, literally means Man, human, a man created in the image and likeness of God. He had been placed by his creator in a beautiful garden of peace and prosperity. Together with his wife, his suitable companion, he had been given everything. The unspoiled creation, animals, plants, and communion with God. But the one thing that Adam had not been given was equality with God. There was a boundary line of distinction between Adam and his creator. Adam was a creature. He was not his own creator. And therefore, Adam did not have self-sovereignty or absolute authority over his own life. He was obligated to obey his creator And he was accountable to his creator. And the visible boundary line, the line of distinction between Adam as creature and God as God, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. We can't understand what was taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane without remembering what took place in the Garden of Eden. The tempter, the deceiver, the evil one, the serpent came into the garden. He took advantage of an opportune moment when Adam was neglecting his duties to guard the garden and to protect his wife. And he deceived Eve into believing that if she ate of the forbidden fruit, she would be like God. That is, she and her husband would be equal with God, having the wisdom, the right, and the authority to decree for themselves what is good and evil. Equality with God in his sovereign authority. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And although it was the woman who was the first to eat of the forbidden tree, the fall of humanity is not attributed to her, but to the man, Adam. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Adam was the representative of all humanity, the head of all humanity. When he reached out to take that fruit, he was grasping equality with God as his own. And it happened in a garden. The story, the true story of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden is not a silly story, as it is often portrayed in cartoon caricatures. It is a tragic story which includes us all. Deep in our own consciousness, we all in our own way have a sense of paradise lost. We all know that this world as it is cannot possibly be as it was meant to be. We long for a better world as though we remember once living in it. We all look at our own lives and say, if only, what if? as though it were we ourselves who had reached out and taken and eaten of that tree. The story of the Garden of Eden is not a silly story. It's a story of ruin and of death, the ruin and death which comes from grasping equality with God. It is no accident then, no trivial point, that on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus faced his final temptation in a garden. He did so as the new Adam, the one whom the Apostle Paul called the last Adam and the second Adam as opposed to the first Adam. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he had often gone to commune with his father in prayer in order to prepare himself for what he was about to do to fulfill his mission as a suffering substitute for the salvation of his people. He went there as the true and faithful Adam in order to prepare himself to bear the curse of death and condemnation pronounced upon the first Adam. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus came face to face with the realization of what it would mean, what it would be to suffer the wrath of God against sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus entered into his agony. The other gospel writers describe Jesus' emotional state. Matthew quotes Jesus' words, My soul is very sorrowful even to death, as though death were already falling like a shadow upon him. Mark describes Jesus as being, quote, greatly distressed and troubled. We might ask, why would Jesus have been so distraught? After all, he was a man who had calmed the wind and the waves and had raised the dead. And he had already taught his disciples numerous times in accordance with the scriptures that he must be betrayed and delivered into the hands of wicked men and be crucified and on the third day be raised. He knew all of this. 
And yet there, wa- there he was in the garden in agony with bloody sweat, praying earnestly, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How could this be? On this very same night, not very long before, he had just told his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. But there he was, agonizing in prayer with a deeply troubled heart. Why? And how could Jesus' will be any, in any way different from his Father's will? How could Jesus say, not my will, but yours be done? Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we are again faced with the mystery of the incarnation. It's the same mystery we celebrate at Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is the mystery of the divine nature united with the human nature Now, throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, we see glimpses of his divine nature in remarkable ways, giving sight to the blind, stilling the storm, multiplying the loaves and fishes, raising Lazarus from the tomb, and in a very particular way, the transfiguration. When his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light, The glory of his divine nature was revealed to Peter, James, and John there on that mountain. Likewise, throughout the gospel accounts, we see evidence of Jesus' human nature. He grew in wisdom and stature. He hungered and thirsted and became weary. He wept at the tomb of a friend, knowing all the while that he had the power to raise him out of it. But it is probably here in his agony in Gethsemane that we see his human nature in a most poignant way. Here in Gethsemane, he had come to the point in his human understanding of what it would mean for him to be the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah, the one who would be, quote, smitten by God and afflicted, whose soul would make, quote, an offering for guilt, and who would be the very one who would cry out in fulfillment of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, he was referring to the cup of God's wrath. The cup. As spoken of by the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, the cup of wrath and staggering, the cup of wrath poured out from God's hand. All of his life, all of his life, Jesus had lived with a consciousness of communion with his Father. But now the full weight, the horror, the dread of bearing his Father's wrath against sin began to descend upon him and he began to descend into the depths of distress and sorrow. And he perceived all of this and experienced all of this in the fullness of his human nature. 
The fact that Jesus was and is the incarnate Son of God did not make this any easier for him. This was not a charade. We have to remember that Jesus was fully human without sin. That what that means is that he was more truly human than you and I are. His emotional capacities, think about this. Jesus' emotional capacities for love and joy in life. His capacity for, for human friendship. His, his capacity for human communion with God and also his revulsion of sin and his grief over death and his dread of the wrath of God were far greater than our own. Our own emotional and psychological capacities are stunted by our sinful nature. We don't love as we ought do we? Not only when we love, not even when we love at our best, we don't love as we ought because we can't. Because we're stunted by our sinful nature. But you see, Jesus himself in his sinless human nature experienced love and joy and grief and sorrow far greater and far deeper than we ever will. His love for His Father was a pure love. His hatred of sin was a pure hatred. His dread of the wrath of God was a dread based on the full knowledge of what awaited Him on the cross. And so He prayed, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yes, as a man, as a sinless man, he had a will of his own. But it was not corrupted by sin. It was not his will, his desire, to be cut off and cast out from the presence of his father. But there is nothing sinful about that. It was not his will to be plunged into the darkness of death under the curse of sin. But there is nothing sinful about that. He did not desire to become the very embodiment of the sins of the world, a heap of sinful humanity, wretched and abominable to his father. But there is nothing sinful about that. He was a sinless man condemned to bear the sins of the world. And it was not sinful for him to ask if there were any other way. He had a right to ask that. He had a right to ask that. He had a right to ask that because he was a man, a true man, of whom it could be rightly said that he was indeed equal with God. So there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he faced his final temptation. Surely the tempter was there. 
just as he had been in the garden with Adam and Eve. And just as surely as Satan had tempted Jesus in the wilderness, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Every one of those temptations in the wilderness was a temptation for Jesus to avoid the cross. And here again, if you are the Son of God, he was tempting Jesus to assert his divine rights as the Son of God, tempting him to grasp his equality with God in order to bypass the shame and suffering and torment and wrath of the cross. This was the agony of Gethsemane. And it was in the midst of this agony that for our sake and our salvation, the new Adam, the true Adam, the last Adam prayed, not my will, but yours be done. For as Jesus himself had already said during his ministry, speaking of his entire life on earth, but also speaking prophetically of this moment, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And as the second Adam, the last Adam, he, for our sake and our salvation, was obedient in the garden. Though he was in the form of God, in very nature God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form the very nature of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form in human nature he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for your faithfulness to the Father and your obedience to your, his calling upon your life so that we, by your death and resurrection, might be delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your everlasting light. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that by the power of your Spirit, you will ever keep us. That where you are, there we may be also. To the glory of the Father, amen. As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord, let us offer ourselves to the Lord as we present the gifts which God has first of all given to us. Session has designated this offering tonight 
to the Desired Street Shelter. 